I'm excited about this morning. I'm going to do something that I don't think I've done since I've been here. I am going to interview someone for 30 minutes uh, during this sermon time. I, I love that Bridgeway, come on up, Sean. I love that Bridgeway is just so open to being led by the Holy Spirit. And the elders here, let me do this. This is Sean Curtis. And we've actually never met. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, Sean and his wife, Carrie, pastor a church in downtown San Francisco. He's a lot cooler than I am. He looks like Ben Affleck to me. I don't know about you guys. First time I laid eyes on him, it was a funny story how we met. I've been discipling Sean for three years. Is that two and a half? Two and a half, yeah. Yep. And uh, we met in outside of Pauly's Island in Georgetown, South Carolina. It was 26 degrees, because I'll never forget that. There's nothing like going it to the beach. Cold. Yes. At the beach. Yes. And uh, we were both going to attend a naturally supernatural workshop, and I got there, and the leader of this workshop told me that I was going to teach it, the whole thing, for three days. <laughs> and uh, I, I love that about the Father. A lot of us love to make plans. He loves just to throw you in the fire. Well, a lot of people had flown in. There were people from, from Europe there. You were from San Francisco. All across the country. Uh, to hear one particular speaker who uh, had a lot more renown than I did, you'd never heard of me, and you're like, who's this guy that looks like Samwise off Frodo movies? Who is this guy over there teaching? And, um, yeah. but the Holy Spirit, Jehovah Sneaky, got you, yeah. <laughs> because you had read a book uh, before then called Signs, Wonders, and a Baptist Preacher. Yeah, we were, my wife Carrie, uh, we've got two girls, um, we left our girls with family in San Francisco, flew across the country to go to this conference, and normally, you know, you look at a conference, you look who's going to speak, and you get excited about the speaker, and so we got excited about the speaker, we got there, and we found out that the speaker wasn't speaking, that someone else was speaking, and I was immediately kind of going, dang, that's, we spent a lot of money and a lot of time to arrange all this. And about 30 minutes into it, I leaned over to my wife and went, oh, he's the dude that wrote that book. <laughs> and God just started to move. It was awesome. Angel showed up. And, just... <laughs> and then uh, we had some breakout sessions, yeah. and you had on a San Francisco hat. And you admitted after that that you, you thought I was one of the weirdest people you ever met in your life. And I, um, I looked at you in that, uh, that upper room of that I don't know, 200-year-old Baptist church, maybe? And I was I looked at you. not been updated in 200 no. years either. Yeah. And I looked at you, and I'm like, I'm going to know you the rest of my life. Yeah. And you didn't receive any of this. <laughs> There's an assignment with me towards you, and you're about to grow more in the next year and the prophetic than you have your entire life. And the whole time you were like judging me, <laughs> offended with me. And uh, if you were on the men's retreat last year, raise your hand at St. Simon's Island where Jesus lives. Sean did an amazing job. Uh, he spoke on shame, and it was awesome. So awesome. You've got to be careful sometimes who you let speak around here. People still don't stop talking about Blake Berg. I've got to keep him back in his artistic chamber. I won't let him <laughs> speak anymore. Uh, Sean did an amazing job, and uh, he's mm. turned into someone that I was just investing in to family, honestly, and a brother. I've been out to San Francisco three times. Three now. times. Yep. And... Um, Sean's been here probably three or four times, maybe not, four, maybe yeah. more, yeah. And so Sean was going to speak this morning, and I was just going to uh, release him to do that. He had a dream not too long ago that the two of us were, were, were doing what we're about to do. We're going to do some interpretive dancing. We're pretty excited about it. And, um, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's our gift yeah. uh, to you. 
I'm, <laughs> I may not make it to the merge-aversary if that happened. Um, yeah. About uh, bantering back and forth. And so I asked the Holy Spirit for five questions that a lead pastor, and I think Carrie's with the girls. She'll be here for the 11 o'clock service. Mm-hmm. And today's Marin's birthday. Sean yep. has two girls. And uh, 10th birthday. Five questions that uh, a lead pastor of a downtown church in San Francisco and a lead pastor of this church, cross country, could uh, perhaps take a couple of different looks or maybe similar. Who, who knows mm-hmm. some of these questions and banner back and forth and see where the Holy Spirit takes us. So is that cool? All right, let's do it. All right, you ready? Yep. What must Georgia do to... <laughs> Sorry. I don't follow high school that's, football. Uh, yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah. I think I may go off page here for a second. Um, that was funny. I, I am so short, I cannot sit down on this. It, it feels like I'm in the Tour de France and I'm not sitting on this. Um, hey, I did run 10 miles last night. I ran 10 miles last night. I'm going to be preaching a series called No More Fat Pastor here coming up soon. Um, I am going to uh, skip to number two and go okay. back to number one. You ready? Sounds good. Yep. Uh, let me just bless this time. Holy Spirit, I pray that over the next 22 minutes and 32 seconds... Hmm. that uh, you just give us an extreme amount of revelation. Mm-hmm. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, you, you are, you, I think you're pastoring in the literal most eclectic place on the earth. That is, uh, every continent, typically the saying goes, as San Francisco goes, so does the world. Um, you ready? Mm-hmm. Western culture has created a mindset where it's okay for Christians to sit on the sidelines and observe and critique and judge and give all of our opinions. Social media has given everyone a platform of superstars. Yet currently in China, we're seeing an explosion in a good way inside the church. Right now, the fastest growing movement in the history of the kingdom of God is happening in China. There is no sideline reporters. There is no celebrity culture. There is no famous pastors. Everyone is playing. Okay. Selflessness and little consumerism is happening in certain pockets in the world where the kingdom is exploding. What are your thoughts on this as it relates to the kingdom? Mm. You know, it's, it's interesting where we live. Everything is so expensive and so confined that to have a building like this is just not even on your radar. Um, You can't buy the land, you can't buy the buildings, it's way too expensive. And so we started to really have to wrestle with the Holy Spirit to say, how do we move as the kingdom of God in a place that is so confined by space and money and time margins, everybody's so busy, Um, how do we move as the kingdom? And God started to give me more and more of a picture um, about the way that we can move as a family within those confines that I think is relevant for every culture. Um, A couple of weeks ago, the Lord gave me a dream where I was running in a triathlon. And I don't do triathlons. Um, I don't run 10 miles either. Um, And 
um, in the dream, I go through the first phase of the first, the first event, the, the swim, and I'm going through the swim, and I'm doing pretty well. I get out of the water, and I'm starting to make the transition to the next um, stage of the triathlon, the next event. And, and all of a sudden, all the crowds are starting to come around me and get in the way so that I can't make the transition to the bike. I can't get the gear on. I can't get to the bike. And all the crowds are coming. And people are, have their sodas. And they're going to their concession stands. And they're, they're um, really actually in one way invested in the race. They're there to observe the race. But they're in the way of the race because they're there to observe. And I could not get to the bike. And it was really starting to get irritating. And at one point, I make uh, make a turn trying to get to it, and there's this huge Coke machine, and people are there trying to get into to get their drinks. And I'm like, I'm I'm running the race. Let me get let me get there. And I woke up and I said, Lord, what are you saying with this? And He said, The kingdom is for runners, not for watchers. The kingdom is for runners, not observers. There are no armchair quarterbacks in the kingdom. There are no bleachers. There are no concession stands. There are runners. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it not to to get a crown that will last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run as someone who, someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body, 10 miles on a Saturday night. Thank you, Father. And make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And I felt like the Father was saying, if the church in the West does not start getting a mindset that all of us are racers, 100% are racers, he can't move. He can't move. And I just started feeling like I got I to gotta start calling my church out on this. Everywhere I go, we got to start calling each other out to be racers, not watchers. 22 years ago, I was in seminary, and I took a class called Theology of the Reformers. And uh, we studied characters like Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and what happened at the Protestant Reformation. And this October 31st, we come up on the 500-year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And so when Luther nailed those 95 Theses to the door, that church in Wittenberg, Germany, the world changed. We are even a reflection of the Protestant Reformation because there was so much um, papal abuse in the Catholic Church that basically a priest became a god and you had to go to the priest to get to god and there were so many injustices happening in that system even the priest would make you pay money to pray for a relative that was already dead you couldn't get to the scriptures themselves you had to trust one man's opinion and uh he would teach it and here's what i find fascinating because i'm going to be teaching on this coming up when we get closer to the day here what happened was with the protestant reformation we actually exchanged the old and we think we exchanged it for the new but a lot of the same stuff still happens celebrity culture. We don't call him a Catholic priest, but hey, I'm going to be a parasite off my leader and I'm going to go to my leader for God, for God to do my work through my leader. And then uh, we're going to join churches based upon someone's personality. And then when that person's personality leaves, what we have found is, and this is not prophetic, this is statistically, mega churches are crumbling left and right when they are built upon the personality of a person. 
megachurches, tithing goes down 50, sometimes 70% when that personality is not there. Kind of sounds like a Catholic priest to me of the old system. And what's happening is you're seeing, in my opinion, uh, you're seeing a shift right now. I think we are in a literal reformation of the church where we are moving from denominationalism to apostolic movements that are led by fathers and mothers that raise up others so everyone can play. If you study denominationalism, it's not too much different from uh, pre-Protestant Reformation. It's the good old boy system, it's power top down, it's high control, and in this system, everyone's supposed to race, everyone's supposed to play, and I think what's, what's beginning to happen, and you're going to see manifest in the West, is what's happening in China, spiritually, in the underground church, will begin to happen in America. Some of you young people, your children are not even going to remember the denominational model. In China, right now, everyone is playing. The Holy Spirit is exploding. Parents are actually discipling their own children because they're together all the time. And it's not a top-down model. It's a bottom-to-top model. And I know, you know, I can't speak for the world, but for Bridgeway, one of the core DNA strands of this whole house is we want everyone to play. Um, I had a dream uh, two weeks ago, and I was in the courtroom of an old-timey scene years ago. An African-American was convicted of something in my dream. Uh, and I knew this person was innocent, and this person was announced guilty in my dream. And I heard a voice in my dream that said, Chad, what's happening right now in the church in the West is women are actually in a form of slavery too, and they're not allowed to be free to operate the way that they're intended to operate in my eyes. And what I have already done with equality, with races in America, you're about to see equality with how women are used. And this is, by the way, this, this isn't like a, I'm not a feminist, but even in that, Everyone can race. That's a message that everyone gets to play. Young, old. And Joel, it says, uh, I will pour out my spirit upon all. Young, old, male, female. And so I think if, uh, if we're not careful, we're going to celebrate the Protestant Reformation coming up, the 500-year anniversary, still living under the old rules. And the new rules is everyone should play. And we have to take responsibility that if you're not playing, it's not someone else's fault. God's given you a gift to do something, do something with it. One of my favorite passages is Judges 6, where it says Shamgar killed 600 Philistines with an ox goat. He took what was in his hand, did the best he could with it. I say he did a pretty good job. So whatever your ox goat is, start swinging it. Let me, uh, let me jump into this. This, uh, this. I think this feeds in perfectly, this next question. So I just made a statement that we're moving from denominationalism into apostolic movements. Christianity Today, because Satan always overplays his hand, Christianity Today wrote an article this month bashing what I'm about to talk about. It's, it's, the enemy is so impulsive that he sees what heaven is doing, and so he'll just attack it, mm-hmm. ignoring Ephesians 4 the whole time. Mm-hmm. Okay, why does the Father value the fivefold so much? What is it? Why does it matter? Uh, it's, this may be one of the most important questions that all of us wrestle with in this stage of history. Um, about two years ago, I was on a, uh, a prayer retreat, and I was sitting there, I was meditating on John 15, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, I'm the vine, you're the branch. I'm like, I know, that's awesome. I love that verse. And then he said it again. He said, no, I'm the vine, you're the branch. I said, yes, I know. And then he got a little more stern. And he said, no, Sean, 
I'm the vine, you're the branch. And immediately I just felt exposed. And I'm like, I'm, I just started crying. I'm like, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And what he exposed in that moment was how as a pastor, and I've been a pastor and a church planner for about 17 years, um, how that little lie slipped in where I believed that I was actually the vine, where I was trying to get my people to attach to me, that I was responsible for their life, for their spiritual sustenance. And I did not notice that error until the Holy Spirit just started pounding that verse into me and just started to tear it down. And um, as we wrestle with where we're attaching, I think Ephesians 4 is so powerful because this is something that was blind to me for most, literally blind to me, for most for most of my life as a pastor. I was only given an option of being a pastor or a teacher. And, and then I just had no revelation on, on Ephesians chapter 4. And Paul starts teaching this revelation that is so powerful. He talks about the passion of Jesus is to build the church up in unity and maturity. So the first six verses are all about Jesus' desire, Jesus' desire for us to be built up as, as mature, unified people. And then in verse 7, Paul says how that's going to happen. He says, but to each one of us, every single one of us, has been given a grace as Christ apportioned to it. And it says that when Jesus ascended, he distributed these graces out so that these graces could build the church up into unity and maturity. So think about this. Jesus died on the cross. We celebrate that all the time. Jesus descended, did something that we're not totally sure what he did. I mean, there's different traditions that teach on it. He rose, showing us the first fruits of all resurrection. But we don't talk about the ascension very often. Paul does here. He says that when Christ ascended, he distributed these gifts so that the church could be grown up into unity and maturity. And then it says what the gifts are. He says he distributed the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, these five gifts given to every single one so that we can all grow up together into maturity and unity. This was Jesus' last task before he ascended. This was not an afterthought. This was, here is what you are going to need, my sons and daughters, to do the task that I've called you to. Here's the tool. Here's the grace. Take it. Use it. And so sitting next to you are the graces, these gifts, in each of us for that purpose. Chad doesn't have that grace. The staff doesn't have all the graces. We need each other. And so you could even just start looking around and, and start, maybe even after, after worship this morning, look at someone and say, you're God's grace to me in that gift. Thank you. I need you. Start stoking the honor in your heart for the people around you because you need what God has given them. Honor them. Honor what God's put into them. And this is what I think is amazing. Chad um, preached a message a few months ago that what Jesus did on the cross was a military, uh, was it? Military. military act. 
So Paul, as he's teaching about how Jesus was, how Jesus was giving these gifts, he quotes a psalm and says that Jesus actually descended first. So after he died, he descended and he took back what the enemy had stolen, the fivefold, took them from the enemy, brought them back when he resurrected, and then distributed them as he ascended. This is the treasure that Jesus went to get back for us. This is what was intended in creation. Jesus went to hell to take back what the enemy had stolen. This is not a small teaching that the church has kind of pushed down or the enemy's pushed down. This, this potentially could be the most important teaching that's been suppressed by the church. So watch what happens. Under the old Catholic system, we thought that we broke away from that and it was getting more into the hands of the people. Not really. Satan realized he couldn't defeat the church early on, so he joined it. And now what Satan will do is there's like six super apostles on the earth. And all the feudal Lord peasants must stay in their seats. And you're not going to call that super apostle or super prophet or super teacher. Mm -hmm. You're not going to call him priest, but you're going to treat him like they are priest. And you're going to depend upon his or her spirituality more than you exercising one of these five gifts Mm -hmm. in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so what's happened is the enemy realized, oh my goodness, and he's kept women quiet. Mm -hmm. He's kept apostles quiet because we think, well, I'm not an apostle in this teaching, this form of, uh, honestly, deception is, well, there's only like four or five super apostles. The truth is the Lord dispersed this to all of us. And uh, it starts with changing the way that we think. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll, be, you'll have a hard time finding a church in the South, I encourage you, that believes what we're teaching. I, re- I, um, I got a book coming out in uh, 2018 called Five Balloons, and one of the chapters is about, uh, about this whole subject. Mm-hmm. And so perhaps today you'd be inspired to go and ask the Father yourself and to study, how are you wired? How are you supposed to be swinging your Shamgar ox goat instead of calling yourself Protestant, but still depending upon some super teacher, pastor, whatever it is, to be that covering for you? You're supposed to be someone else's covering. You're supposed to be blessing someone else, someone else's Mm -hmm. grace. Um, I want to, that was really awesome, by the way. Uh, I want to go in, got about six minutes here. Uh. Of anyone I've ever done life with, I've never known someone that carries less of a critical spirit than you do. Let's just be honest. When I say the name San Francisco, it elicits a response probably in tons of people here. Um, San Francisco is probably as judged as any city in the world. Um, you, have a, you have no critical spirit that I've seen. Uh, why is a critical spirit such a detriment to the Jesus lifestyle? What is a critical spirit? What am I talking about? Yeah, I, you know, just to define it, a critical spirit is, is in, in, in a spiritual sense, is to sit yourself or sit ourselves on the seat that only God can sit on, is to be the judge. And... Um, and I appreciate, I, I mean, I appreciate your, your perspective on that, and, I, and I'm grateful. Um, I, I still struggle with a critical spirit, and I feel like the Lord has really been taking me to task on that um, a lot. Um, I think part of where God has been working in my life in this area is just reminding me often 
out of Romans 12 that we are constantly pressed into the world's mold. And the world wants to, the enemy wants to condemn and destroy people. And so if you can create a system that can judge somebody and condemn them for whatever reason, then you can begin to destroy them. And that's the way the enemy works. And so we constantly have to be really aware that we're all pressed into this very critical kind of, very judgmental kind of spirit. Uh, and just be, be aware of that. Um, and then continually say, Father, what are your thoughts about this person? Because I, I don't want to look at them through the eyes of the world. Um, to be honest, when people ask me here where I'm from, I, I'm really hesitant to say I'm from San Francisco because I know that. And so I'll say things like, oh, I'm from out west. Um, so the Lord, I'll share, share two, quick, two quick stories. The Lord, the way he's taking me to task on this, um, there was somebody in my family that I really disagreed with how they're spending their money. And, um, and they're in some financial chaos because of that. And so I was just like harboring this critical spirit around that. And I was kind of looking for the opening to be able to talk to them about this. And the Lord um, um, came to me in a dream and really rebuked me and um, began to tell me, Sean, that's not what I see right now. That's not what I see. What you're thinking is not untrue, but that's not where I'm at work. That's not where, that's not where I'm at work. Let it go. I woke up and I just felt this conviction and I was uh, repenting and apologizing to, to the Father for that. Um, and then um, around that same time, there was somebody in our community that, that I was walking with that was struggling uh, with, with lust and pornography. And um, it's easy to kind of go in the old kind of forums and say, okay, well, let's put some accountability in. Let's talk about this. Let's kind of get some, some constraints in there. And... Um, and I was trying to, as pastorally responsible, putting some guards in for him. And, um, and the Lord independently came to him and led him through deliverance in the night um, and showed him that, that the root of his foothold was uh, a curse on his own emotions that he had put on himself when he was in middle school. And as he was cursing his anger and his temper... It, be, it created this spiritual stronghold that then this other kind of demonic activity around lust and pornography was attached to, and he couldn't get rid of the lust of, and pornography until he dealt with the curse first. And so the Holy Spirit led him through this whole deliverance, and he started telling me about it, and I'm like, this is way beyond my pay grade. I did not know how that worked. And so if I was only looking with what I saw, I could be critical and frustrated that he wasn't getting more victory in this area of lust. I started to realize I need to have the Father's perspective on what's going on in the Spirit, or I'm just going to keep him in bondage with my human wisdom. And so it just began to destroy any temptation that I had to look at somebody and just put on my own perspective. Like, well, Father, you, just, you need to show me what, what you see, because I, I don't know. That's awesome. Um, a lot of people come to me and they say, I, I want to grow in the prophetic, the ability to get words of knowledge or discernment over people. And I, most people believe that it's a lack of faith that keeps us from hearing the voice of God. I think it's actually a critical spirit and cynicism are the two things that block our ability to hear the Father. Because um, 
Jesus says, if you have faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says, uh, pursue love, which is the opposite of critical spirit, and eagerly desire all the gifts. Love can see truth in someone where they're off, but doesn't judge them based upon that truth. I believe that this is the number one issue at hand for people seeking to go to ascend the mountain of God, to go to the deepest places in him. He sees all truth, uh, but he has the unbelievable ability to speak into a literal evil dictator's life, the potential he does see, who they are, the, the potential they have to be in Christ, if so they choose. But you meet very few people who choose that because we typically uh, associate wisdom with the critical spirit. We call it wisdom. The father told me, I'll close with this. Uh, he told me on the way to Orlando to film with a bunch of famous ministers. He said, Chad, 10% critical heart is 100% to me. And I started crying. And uh, someone that I had hidden offense towards, another minister, uh, I just got rid of that and I invited him to come to the table conference this year because I'm declaring war on all that stuff. Uh, I know y'all know this, but the Bible says God is love. Uh, can we thank Sean this morning just for being here? Thanks, buddy. That was awesome. That was fun. You were great in Pearl Harbor and also, um, what's the Matt Damon movie you're in? Uh, Goodwill Hunting. Jessica, come on up here. This is uh, Jess. You guys know her. Jess is a children's pastor here at this church. And whenever we make a shift in, uh, thank you, uh, like a, a shift in uh, Banks of the River or policies. We just want to make the whole church aware of it. So uh, just listen to Jess for a couple, a couple minutes here as we're going to make some changes. Good morning. All of you that have children with us at Bridgeway Kids should have received an email with a video a few weeks ago. But this is just a reminder for anybody who's new or um, maybe didn't get a chance to watch that video. Next Sunday, we are going to be starting a new procedure with check-in. So all Bridgeway Kids check-in will take place upstairs. So that's the first one. If you come downstairs, please don't do that. Those doors will actually be locked. Everyone needs to enter the building through the upstairs doors. The second big change is that we will be closing check-in at 9.15 and 11.15. So we have a lot of families who arrive between 9.15 and 9.30. That will no longer be an option to be able to check your child in at Bridgeway Kids. So if there, you do have a child who's going to participate nursery through fifth grade with Bridgeway Kids, we need you to please be here by 9.15 or 11.15. Now, I, we did want to let you know some of the why. We don't like to do things without being very transparent with why we're making these decisions. There were many factors that played into this decision. Um, there were many conversations. There were many um, prayers. And just, we really wrestled, honestly. We've gone back and forth on where we wanted to land with this. And there were two driving factors that landed us in the, the, the decision that we're at. The first one is always going to be safety and security with us. We, we are trusted with your children. We take that very seriously. And we want to be able to give them the most safe and secure environment that they can connect with Jesus. If we have one central location... And if we're able to take full account for all the rooms, then we're able to provide that safety and security. Some of our rooms by 915 already start transitioning into other spaces to come into large groups and things like that. And so that's why by 915 and 1115, we really need all the children checked in and where they're going to be. The other one that honestly is just as a big deal to us is the fact that we get 90 minutes with your kids. 
We take those 90 minutes very seriously and we take advantage of every single one of those 90 minutes. Adults are able to learn in chunks. We have a mature enough brain development that we can take a chunk of worship and a chunk of teaching, a chunk of announcements. Kids are not like that. They need us to really build a bridge for them over the morning if we're going to let them connect with an idea. And so we take from nine o'clock on every single minute we are building that bridge and we don't want them to miss out on the opportunity to get the entire thing that the Lord has for them that, that day. So please join us, honor us by being here, 915, 15. We will be closing check-in, um, and all check-in will take place upstairs. Thank awesome. you. Thank you so much. Why don't you stand up, and I'll speak a blessing over us this morning. Don't forget to sign up for the table conference. It is selling out very, very fast. We only have so many seats. You will not be able to pull any, oh, I'll just slip in the back. Not going to happen. In the name of Jesus, may you build deep friendship with the Father this week. May you pursue love. May you be sick to your stomach at the thought of ever being critical towards yourself or anyone else. And may people be attracted to you because of the love you carry. Go in peace. God bless.